0: have an apple product just i'm just kind of curious all right and, and the rest of those of you who do not you need to quit living in your caves no, i'm just kidding so uh, so yeah we've all got apple devices now some of you i would guess that most of us probably have more than one apple device and we love those things i mean it's just really interesting you just look at people they always have them on them and it's almost like it's uh, you can't it's like a child i mean you can't live without them you are you're always carrying them and, I, and in a lot of ways i'm, I'm the same way uh, I was over at uh, some people in our church's home, and they, we, I was over there kayaking, and I was uh, coming up to their house, and I was going to get, they have a dock there, and so I was going to get out, and I had my phone on me, and as I was getting out of the kayak, I stepped on it wrong, you know, as I was standing up, and it, it flipped over, and I went headfirst into the water, and of course I had my phone with me, which is always wonderful, and so I go underwater, and I, you know, I'm panicking, and I grab my phone, and I try to turn it on, and it's, it's like on the fritz, it won't do anything. So I go into ambulance mode. I mean, I hop out of there. I run, hop in my car. I get to my house as fast as I can. Get, I, I don't know why this. they say it works, but you get rice, and I put it in this bag, and I put my phone in there. and It's like I'm praying over my phone. And sad to say that my Apple device, my iPhone it passed away, did not make it. So I know that y'all are very distraught about that. Now, I'm just, some, of, some of you have had similar experiences, and it's just real interesting to watch this when something happens about the panic mode. I mean, you can tell when somebody's messed up, and, and they're scared to death. Well, I thought about that, not to try to get too spiritual about iPhones, but as, as I've watched my own reaction to devices like that, I thought, what is my reaction to people? You know, whenever I see people who are broken, if I'm real honest with myself, man, there's a lot of times when I'm much more engaged and involved in, in trying to make sure that my broken iPhone is going to get fixed as opposed to a broken person. And there's y'all, there's a lot of brokenness all around us. I mean, we see people who are broken in their relationships. I, I know people who are broken by addiction. I know people who are broken in their, in their self-confidence and so as I look at that, I think, well, how in the world can we as a church, as we as Christians, how can we help people who are broken? How, how can, and not only, you know, just not the outside world, I mean, y'all, we're broken. And so the question is, what can we do in order to see change take place in the lives of people who are busted up and messed up? And, and I've, I've really come down to this. If, if, if there's going to be change, it really is going to come down to God's people. It's going to come down to the church engaging culture, and that's why we're going through this series called C4, and we've decided as a church at C4 and an engaging culture that if we're going to see a difference in the world where we live, if we're going to see differences in our communities, then it is going to be up to Christians, it's going to be up to the church to engage the world in which we live, and we've decided and we figured out that there's four ways that Village Church is going to do that. Uh, we're going to do that in our, uh, in our campuses, we're going to do it in our community, we're going to do it in our care ministries, and we're going to do it through our civic responsibilities. Now we've already talked about the first two, how we're going to be involved on our campuses and how we're going to be involved in our community, but today I wanted to simply talk to, uh, talk to you about how our church is going to engage our culture, engage our community by just very simply caring for people. And that's what we're going to look at today in our passage of scripture in Mark two one through two or one through twelve. We're going to see a man in this story who was broken. He was a man who was a paralytic, but he had four friends who decided they were going to engage their friend so that he might see healing. You know, I really believe that one of the greatest things that we can do as Christians that we can do as a church is that when we see broken people that we reach out to them that we minister to them that they might receive healing and so we're going to see that today in Mark 2 verses 1 through 12 and what we're going to see in this story is that Jesus was a man who had a reputation of being able to take broken people and restoring them. We're told in Mark 1, verses 32 through 34, it says, When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. So Jesus was known as the healer. And so it's whenever, it's with this information, it's with this background that these four guys they they looked over they saw a friend of theirs who was a paralytic and they said we know about Jesus he's coming to town our friends broken let's pick him up and see him get restored that's a great story and I my, my hope is that when we when we leave here not just today but as we go on into the future that we will be more and more like these four friends who have a desire to see brokenness, have healing. So here's the question for me, and I hope for us, and that is, well, what has to happen for people to be able to experience healing? And this is where we have some responsibilities. And the very first thing that has to happen is this. We have to recognize, first of all, that people are broken. There has to be a recognition on our part that this, this world is messed up. And that people are broken. Now I want to read you in verse number 1. It says, When he, Jesus, entered Capernaum, again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And so, so many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the message to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic, carried by four men. Now, before something can be fixed, you have to realize that it 's broken you know if we if we don 't realize that something is broken, then we 're just going to continue on never do any, doing anything about it and so that that person or that thing it's going to remain in that broken state um, I, I love the story, but there 's a missionary in in South America, and when he went there after a period of time, uh, one of the people that uh, back in the States, ended up donating a car to him. So he was excited about it. So he has this car. Only problem was that for the car to start, it had to, it had to have a rolling start. And so every morning when he'd get up, he'd have some kids come out, and they would, they would push his car, and he'd crank it, and it'd get going, and he was able to drive it all day. And so he said that he would always make sure that if he stopped somewhere, that he would always stop on a hill so that when he could get the car going, he'd get it rolling, and then he could crank it up, and he said, or I'd just leave it running. And so it, this went on for a couple of years. And after a couple of years, there was another missionary that was coming in that was going to take his place. And so he had, had the same car, and he was kind of, he's kind of proud at you know, how he was able to keep that car running the entire time. So he talked to the new missionary, said, we got a car for you. He said, I just want to give you a couple pointers. He goes, i got a group of kids who will help you out every morning. They'll, they'll push the car off, get it started, and it, and it works fine. You just have to be careful. Always want to have it on a hill. And so the guy said, well, that's interesting. He said, do you mind if I look at the car? He goes, no, I'd love for you to come look at it. So he he looks at the car. They pop the hood. He looks in there and goes, oh man, there's a loose cable in there. And he reaches over, he twists it, and he gets in the car and cranks it right up. Now the missionary said, for two years I've been driving around with a problem that didn't need to be a problem. He said, but it all changed because one guy recognized that there was something that was broken. Well, that's what happens in our text. There were four men who looked at their friend, and they said, he's broken. And it's just something that's real simple. It's not, it's not it's like, like it was hard to figure out, but it just simply took a very simple recognition for things to begin to change. And so they said, Jesus is coming into town. Our friend's broken. Wouldn't it be cool if he got healed? Now, guys, I, I, look at, I look at what's going on all around us right now. And I see people in, the, in their marriages who are struggling. I see young people who are struggling and just making decisions about life and, and making sometimes making really bad choices. And, and I think, you know what, we are broken, but wouldn't it be neat if God intervened into their life and healed their brokenness? But my fear is that in so many ways I've become desensitized to the brokenness that's in our world. And I see brokenness. It's almost like I'm just sort of used to it. Like, that's just the way things are. You know, whenever we talk about marriage, you see people struggling in marriage. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty desensitized to a lot of that. I see it and I go, yeah, that's just sort of what happens. I, I see young people. And I see the struggles. I see addiction problems. And I sit there and think, yeah, you know what? I mean, just when, when people are young, they just make bad choices. That's just the way it is. And I can, I can be very desensitized to the problems, but if I continue in that type of the, uh, thinking, you know what's not going to happen? Healing. Restoration won't happen. If I adopt the status quo and just say, hey, that's just the way things are. Guys, I promise you this, nothing will ever change. And if the church adopts that attitude, the same results are going to happen. Bill Church, here's what I've come to. Here's what I've come to believe. If healing is going to take place in our culture and in the lives of people, it starts with us. It starts with God's people. I'm the paralytic in the story. He can't walk. How did healing, the healing process, begin for him? It began for him because four guys decided they weren't going to accept the status quo anymore. If you go back and you read at the very first part of Genesis, every time God made something, God said this about his creation. He said, it is good. God's intention in creation was for everything to always be good. That word good, it means pleasant, agreeable, right. But when sin entered into the world, it threw everything off kilter. I mean, it created brokenness in our world. So the question is, well, how can we become better at recognizing broken, brokenness? Spend time in God's Word. Spend, God, spend time looking at God's Word because this book is truth. And whenever you know truth, you then begin to see things that are not true. I mean we're told this in John 8:31 and 32 it says so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him he said if you continue in my word you really are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, unfortunately, what has happened is that we have begun to drift away from God's Word, and we don't spend much time here, and we don't look at this book as a reference point for our lives, and as you drift away from God's Word, you begin to drift away from truth, and we get confused about just everyday matters. You know, we live in such a confused world now that we can't even tell the difference between what is a man and what is a woman. We're confused because we've drifted away from God's truth you know we've drifted so far away that that we've begun to to quit focusing in on what is actual truth and now we begin to say well the marking point for us should be our feelings and so we look and we say man we're messed up I mean what's what's happened to our world well if we're going to see healing it first begins with this we have to recognize brokenness when we see it what else has to happen for there to be healing well we have to be willing to overcome barriers and I'm speaking to to those who are followers of of Jesus we have to be willing to overcome barriers look with me in verses three and four it says then they came to him Jesus bringing a paralytic carried by four men and since they were since they were able to were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd They removed the roof above where he was, and when they broken through, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic was lying. Now, the whole idea of of engaging culture and C four it's sort of been like sloshing around in my in my brain for a pretty good while. I mean, I've watched I've watched the news for you know I watch too much news. I I read the newspaper. I I see stories, and I think, man, what in the world is going on here? And I just think, I mean, it's like we are—we are no longer just sort of gradually going down a hill. I mean, this is my opinion, which I believe is right, but we are no longer going down a hill culturally and morally, y'all. We are going over a cliff. Like, man, can it be stopped? You know, can can anything change? And then I read, I read a story like this, and, and then I, I think, you know, here's a man who is completely broken. And most of us would say he's a paralytic. There's nothing that can be done for this guy. And yet there were four men who said, we're going to step in, and we're going to see something happen in his life. You see, they looked at their friend, and he was paralyzed. He couldn't get around. He couldn't walk. And and in our world today, y'all, there are many people who are who are spiritually paralyzed. We're we're broken. You know, we can't make sense of things. And that's what sin does. Y'all, sin is dangerous. When we play with sin, it's destructive. Psalm sixty six, eighteen says, If I have sin in my heart, God will not hear me. So if someone is paralyzed, that means they need help, right? I mean, I can't fix myself if I'm broken and I can't get up and move. So what's required? Somebody's got to intervene for me. Church, that's, that's us. We have to, If we're going to see the world change, we're we'll going to see people's lives change. We have to get up and intervene. And so in our text, the four guys, they walk over to the friend and they pick him up. And they say, we are going to take you to Jesus. Now, I'd like to thank you. Know, I'd say, well, I'd, like, I'd do that. You know, I'd pick somebody up and carry him to Jesus. Now, but if we're going to say that, we, there's a couple of things we need to understand. If we're, if we're going to actually engage culture like that and we see brokenness, you me tell you, there's going to be some barriers. If you decide to pick somebody up and you're going to take them to Jesus, there are going to be barriers that you're going to face. And the men in our text, they faced barriers. As a matter of fact, whenever they picked up their friend, they take him to Jesus' house. When they get there, it is jam-packed with people. Uh, verse number 2 says, So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. Can you imagine that? It's a press of people. I mean, they are jammed in the house. And people are outside. They can't even get their friend to Jesus. Now, it would have been easy for them to say, Oh, man, it's really crowded in there. Yeah, you know, we tried, you know. We, it's the thought that counts, right? And they could have just turned around and carried their friend back to the house and say, Hey, maybe some other time, buddy. That's the first barrier. They faced a barrier. People were pressing in. Now, the question is, how did they, how did they respond they didn't quit. They said, buddy, let me tell you something. You were broken and we didn't bring you here just so you could see what possibly could happen. We brought you here to see you healed, to see you restored. Church, that's us. That's our job. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. We are to carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Whenever they carried their friend to Jesus, they were going to carry him all the way through. They ran into an obstacle. They said, we've got to find another way. So what they do? The next thing they did, we're told that they went on top of the roof. Now, in uh, Jesus' day and our day, y'all, architecture is different. They actually had a stairway to a roof. All houses would, and they would be flat. And so it was a flat roof. And the reason why they were flat and they had a stairway up there is because they did not have air conditioning, which is awful, and so no AC so in order to cool off during the during the heat of the day or during the during the morning hours a lot of times the people would go up go up on top of the roof and they would sit there to get feel the breeze sometimes at night they would even go up there and they would sleep on top of the roof and and the roofs were they they're not they were not made like ours I mean, they didn't have a roof like this their roofs were made out of basically out of clay they'd have rafters and then there'd be clay dried clay and so whenever the men, they, they run into an obstacle, can't get to Jesus, so they go up on top of the roof. Now they can't even see Jesus. So, so what are they going to do? And they're they like, we didn't come here to play. We came here for healing. And so they began to dig through the roof. Can you, um, can you imagine being inside the house and like, what is going on up there? And then they, they cut a hole through the clay, and then they lower their friend down to Jesus. Now, here's what I recognize about the story. I recognize persistence. Would y'all say they were persistent? I mean, they show up, crowded, they go to the roof. I mean, even if you go to the roof, you're like, man, we're hoping to get you to Jesus, man, there's just no way we can do it. They're like, you know what? There's not going to be any obstacle that's going to be too great for us to get you to Jesus. If we have to go through an obstacle, we will do it. Now, that is a rare quality. And it's a rare quality because you know, here's, here's what I, I'm not talking about y'all, I'm talking about just in general, here's what it feels like. It feels like that we live in a society now where everybody wants to be coddled. And whenever things don't go our way, we get upset and we quit. That's not fair. And we just walk away. Now, if those guys had been like that, they'd say, well, this isn't fair, there's too many people here, I'm, I'm, we're quitting. And they're just going to walk off and leave. That's not what they did. They said, we're going to do something about this. We're going to make a difference. They didn't quit. Let let me give you an example of where we are as a society. Just some strange stories that you can look up and read about. Um, I I read a story about Oxford, Oxford University. And in Oxford, they they said that students who are studying criminal law have been told that they can duck out of lectures if they find the crimes being covered are too upsetting for them to hear about. Aspiring lawyers at this prestigious school now have the option of skipping teaching on potentially distressing acts if they don't feel up to it. Lecturers have been told to start providing trigger warnings at the start of potentially upsetting segments so that if a student doesn't want to hear it, he can stand up and leave. Now, I find that odd. I find that strange. Because I start to wonder, well, what happens when they're in a real court of law? And there are potentially upsetting details in trial. Are they going to say, "I can't hear this. this is going to upset me," and get up and." Le- okay, would you like your lawyer to duck out at that point? Now, I, I understand. there's a lot of unpleasantness in this world that I would like to duck out of. You know right? I mean, I just like to skip pain and suffering. I think that would be nice. If we're just going to skip that whole part of life. But you know what, we, we don't have that option. I mean, you just, you live. You go through life. And as believers, we have the opportunity to live in the power of Jesus through the difficult times of life, and it matures our faith. I mean, we're told in James 1, 2, and 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, had these men not persevered in bringing the paralytic to Jesus, that guy would have never been healed. Okay, so what does that mean for us today? But let's first let me tell you something if we will not if we do not persevere in caring and reaching out in our community, there will be people who will not experience healing in their lives. So my encouragement for you and for me is this here's what we can do let's persevere in our prayers for the people around us even when they might not even want us to be praying for them. Let's persevere anyway. Let's persevere in our prayers, praying for God's hand to be upon our neighbors. Even whenever we look at their, maybe their lifestyles that are different than ours, and let's pray that God will reach down and touch them and bless them. You see, the, the first thing that has to happen before healing can occur is we have to recognize people are broken, but then also this, we have to be willing to overcome barriers to reach people. If we're going to care for people, we have to overcome barriers. And then here's the last thing. For healing to happen, we have to live in faith. As Christians, as a church, we have to live in faith. Now, I'm going to read you verses 5 through 12. It says, Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there thinking, thinking to themselves, Now, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And right away Jesus understood in his spirit that they were reasoning like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you reasoning these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your stretcher and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. And immediately he got up. Picked up the stretcher and they went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and they gave glory to God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. That happened because those men, first of all, recognized brokenness. Secondly, because they weren't going to quit, they're going to overcome barriers. But third, it happened because they had faith that Jesus could do what he said he was going to do. These men brought their friend to Jesus because they had faith that Jesus was going to heal him. Now, they could have not had faith. They could have said, "You know, let's just try to help him out the best we can. They could have said, "Hey man, we got you a brand we got you a my pillow and we got you a brand new mat that you can lie on." Now that I'm sure that would have been nice and comfortable for him. Guys, that's not going to solve his problem. And I'm afraid that too many times we try to put band-aids on the issues that people are dealing with in life instead of seeing them healed. If I see somebody hungry, hey, it's nice if you give them a meal. Guys, let me tell you something. If you want to see them healed, you give them Jesus. And you go to Jesus because you have faith that Jesus changes things. Now, what what is faith? You know, what is it? Hebrews 11.1 tells us. It says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, and it is the proof of what is not seen. It, it is a prerequisite in our relationship with God. Faith is a prerequisite. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please God. That's why the most important verse in this entire scripture is verse number five. It says, Jesus said this, it says, seeing their faith. Jesus saw what was going on. They cut a hole through the roof, roof and they start dropping a guy down in front of him who can't walk. And it says, and Jesus seeing their faith. It took faith for them to do that. Now here's what's interesting. Whose faith did Jesus see? Y'all get to tell me. The friends. Isn't that interesting? Jesus did not see the faith of the crippled guy. Doesn't say anything about his faith. It says, Jesus seeing the faith of the friends who wanted to see their friend Healed. When he saw their faith, Jesus told the man, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Take up your stretcher and walk. And the guy did. And it says everybody was astounded. Okay, so how do we live in faith like that? We trust that Jesus will do what this book says he will do, and then we live it. When we see brokenness, we enter into that world of brokenness, and we share, and we love people, and we tell them about Jesus because we believe Jesus can heal, that he can perform miracles. Let me, let me share with you a story. I was reading a book called Draw the Circle, and it's a story about a pastor named Mark Batterson wrote the book. So, yeah, it's a really good book. I enjoy it. It's on prayer. And uh, in the book, he tells a story about a missionary. He's still there. His name's Bob Bagley. And he's a missionary and I forget which country in Africa, but he's a a missionary there. Their church meets outside under a tree. He says, so we meet there for church. And he said, there is a witch doctor in the tribe who does not like Christians. He went to that tree and he cursed the tree. Now, I know y'all are thinking, man, this is like movie stuff. Okay, the witch doctor curses the tree. The tree withered. Is that freaky? Okay, Bob Bagley said, I'm sitting there with the one, oh my gosh. He said, because I'm thinking, okay, we, i got to do something now. Now, that's not something you just avoid, going, well, we're just going to find another tree. He said, I, I, I told our people, I said, you know, we, got to, we have to do something, because if we don't, then it's going to show our community that he is more powerful than our God. So he said, man, he got, he's like, man, I'm going to have to put my faith into action here. He said, so he started praying to God. So I prayed to the Lord and said, God, you're going to have to do something. He said, now, it's your reputation on the line. It's not me. God, you're going to have to do something. He said, God, you've got to restore that tree. And so he got the church together, and he said, y'all, we're going to go pray over that tree. And they went over, because that's, that's the church. So they prayed over the tree. As they're praying over the tree, the tree came to life. That tree would bear fruit once a year. Since they prayed over that tree, it now produces fruit twice a year. Okay, so you think, okay, that's weird. What does that do? Here's what it did in that community the people began to believe in the God of Scripture because they saw the God of Scripture act. And it happened because as that man prayed and that church prayed, God saw their faith, and he responded. Now, here's the deal. There's people all around us whose lives are withered. They're broken. What can we do? So, church, we need to begin to engage people and we begin to pray for restoration. And I really believe this. I believe that God can take lives that are withered and he can bring them to life again. And they can become more productive than they were ever meant to be in the first place. You see, church, it is time for us to put our money where our mouth is. And whenever we do that, it is then that we will begin to see brokenness mended. We're here. We are here for a reason. Our community, our community, our state, our nation, spiritually, y'all, we are broken. The number one religion in the United States today is none. None. We're broken. Can we do anything? Yeah. We need to recognize brokenness. To be willing to overcome barriers. To be persistent. And then we need to live in faith and put our faith into action. How do we put our faith into action? I can share with you a couple things that we do. At the church, we have a prayer team. And I am grateful for them. They, they come up to the, to the church and they pray. They pray for people in the church who are struggling. They pray for the needs of our community. They pray for our nation. They give praise to God for who he is. And one of the greatest things that we can do is simply pray. And I think, well, what, what, else, what else can I do? Another thing that you can do is we have, we have V-group ministries. Where we gather together in our V groups, we fellowship, we support each other, we care for each other. But also one thing that we're doing is we're beginning to look around in the neighborhoods where we are and say, how can we serve the neighborhoods where we are meeting to let them know we are here for you? Something else that you can do is whenever you see brokenness in the friends or the people that you work with, something as simple as you, you can pray for them, but you can invite them into the church. Just to come to church with you. Why? So they can hear about Jesus. You see, because we are believing. When I come here, I want us coming here believing God is going to move. Not punching the clock, but coming here believing God is going to move and bring change. Now, we live in a broken world. And Village Church has been called to meet that brokenness. To meet the brokenness. So that there can be healing. Oh.